I'd like to think that knowledge is probably the most valuable tool that human beings have. But there is one tool that is even more relevant than knowledge. And I think it's imagination because it's absolutely unlimited. Hi, everyone. I'm Liz Kasky. As a travel curator, cook, wine aficionado, and design lover, I've always been fascinated by the stories of how creatives pursue their dreams. What's the energy behind a great chef and restaurant? How is that tasty cheese made? Why does this wine speak to me? What was the inspiration for that hotel? Or simply appreciating the artistry of an old world weaving with contemporary design. I'm constantly searching for local flavors and am passionate about sharing them. Welcome to In Search of Flavor, a podcast that explores the experiences, ideas, and stories behind the fascinating trailblazers in the Americas from north to south and the beautiful projects they've birthed. So pour yourself a glass of wine, dial into your wonderlust, and get ready to be inspired. In this episode, Rodolfo Guzman, the head chef and founder of Borgo Restaurant in Santiago, Chile, joins us. Borgo is the sixth best restaurant on Latin America's 50 best restaurants list and 39th on the world's 50 best restaurants list. Guzman has two great passions, food and chili, and he's on a mission to bring the diversity and the richness of his birthplace to the world as a source of inspiration for all cultures. We go behind the scenes to discuss Rodolfo's early years as a cook in Chile and then in Europe, how he started Borgo and became an entrepreneur, embraces research and experimentation as part of Borgo's knowledge path, and finally has stepped into being a leader in the global culinary space. We'll also discuss why Borgo's cuisine and dining experience is so unique and how Chef Rodolfo is literally cataloging all the endemic ingredients of chili to produce a body of work and recipes that will prove to be a legacy for the country, highlighting its many climates, foodstuffs, and producers. There's truly no other restaurant like Borgo in the world. So when you do visit Santiago, it absolutely should be on your itinerary there. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Rodolfo. Welcome to the In Search of Flavor podcast. It's so wonderful to have you here. You're joining me from Santiago, Chile. Hey, Liz. Thank you for the invitation. I'm super excited to join you on this one. You certainly have made a name for yourself in Chilean cuisine, and I'm sure many of our listeners have even dined at Borgo in their travels within Chile. So I really want to go behind the scenes, pull the curtain back a little bit on this project and you as a cook and what you're doing, because I think it's so fascinating. Let's start way back in time, (laughs) because so much of what we do in life starts in our formative years, right? Tell us how you were like as a kid in terms of your family upbringing, your relationship with food. I mean, did you have have, you know, a figure in your life that opened this door and pathway of curiosity and, and the diversity of, of, of food and cultural expression? Sure. I grew up in Santiago, you know, which is the capital in Chile, say in the early 80s. Chile was a very different country compared to what it is now. I feel very blessed, to be honest. I'm coming from a middle class family. I grew up kind of in, the, in between the countryside and the city. You know, I used to spend the summers with my grandmother in the countryside. So I had like a different perspective from a children that lives in the city. In a way, probably during those days, I didn't feel very comfortable going into the countryside during my summer. But my parents, they both had to work a lot. And they started from zero as in the old times, you know. Anyways, every single woman in my family cooks exceptionally well. And so I have that, those memories. I've got to see those things in the farm that children doesn't have the chance to see. Like uh, drink the fresh milk out of the cow, you know, and, and, and things that you probably won't do today. You know, the, the warm milk right out of the cow, literally. Mm. A few things is, such as uh, pajarito yogurt, one of the biggest traditions in our countryside. Of course, the wild fruits in the summer. In that relationship between the live animals, such as the chickens and the lambs, you won't see them on the next day. And if you want to eat a chicken, then you pull out the neck. So that was a normal thing for me in a way. The cool thing, it was that I knew how it tastes. That was very, very interesting growing as a kid. I grew up going to different schools around the city because my parents, they moved from one place to another. At the beginning, they didn't do it very well financially, unfortunately. And and so suddenly my father, he was a very quick creative guy, actually. Actually, the most creative guy I ever met in my life. 
he found his way to to make it in a printing business. I grew up with this beautiful memories also from my mother. My mother, she cooks exceptionally well, especially she has a, an incredible skill with desserts. Ask my grandmother. By the way, uh, I never thought to become a professional cook. Never, never, ever. I was terrible in school. I was doing really bad. It was a disaster, to be honest. I never really thought something for my life. I was absolutely unsure of my path <laughs> as a kid. This one time, my good friend, my best friend, actually, he told me, hey, why don't you go to school to study cooking and become a professional cook? Then I say, okay, that, that is a good idea. So that's what I did. And I suddenly just fell in love with. And I thought he was the luckiest guy on earth doing the thing that I like it the most. Cooking, in my case, it was very natural to me. So yeah, that's my path probably. And when you went to cooking school, I mean, because that's becomes, I mean, such a different, deeper dive into home cooking in many ways, because there's so many skill sets. What drew you in within those years of, of apprenticing? You became an apprentice, yes. obviously, of an oficio for it to say. Every I mean, single- what drew you in? Because you can go into pastry and there's so many applications within the world of food. What did you feel drawn to as you were studying and and got deeper into this new world? Well, of course, I have big passion for sweets, but I felt this passion for cooking. Chile was a totally different country by then, 23, 24 years ago. Mm -hmm. Restaurants weren't such a thing, you know. For us, it was more of a... uh, nourishment rather than than being focusing on gastronomy or on culture or in, that's because you know chile exploded from one day to the next it used to be the poorest country in latin america and then within with the next i don't know 45 years chile became probably the most healthy and, and different country compared to the region when you have lots of money in your pocket as a country probably you can adopt any other culture around the world and so mm-hmm. by that time, you probably would see a lot of restaurants from Italy, from Peru, from everywhere in the world, from French cuisine, you know. This is a very funny thing. Not the good things, but the best things were coming from outside of a country. I know this is very ridiculous, but let's say a Japanese fish that would travel thousands of kilometers to Chile would have more quality than the fish that came right out of our coast, which is only one hour away from the city. It makes no sense. We, no. we all know that the, the fish that has more quality is that one that is right out of the water. It was weird. So let's say a successful restaurant would be that one that has the most beautiful decoration, the mm-hmm. one that people will get together and to see each other, you know. I would say gastronomy wasn't really relevant. The Chilean native ingredients in general were, were like, a, or Mapuche ingredients, were more related to a cheap ingredients so you have no access to it because they, they, they were growing in a field and so i started and uh, doing a stages in the city you know with a few famous chefs by that time so i got tremendously disappointed because of that at that time the chef he was probably the cleverest guy the guy that knows a lot about cooking but the the team he was absolutely unplugged from that reality most of them they could do anything in life but suddenly they, they ended up doing that for a reason. I got super frustrated. I had that passion. And a friend of mine at that one of those restaurants told me this one time, hey, Rudy, do you know what is going on in Spain now? I said, nope, I don't know. Come on, you have to know. It's, it's the, Spain now is, is the new France. I say, what? Yeah, they, they're living a revolution now. It's incredible. They have this amazing restaurant called El Bulli. I cannot believe it. And it was dreaming in my head, you know, with this passion producers, this, this incredible chefs, tremendously attached to, to the teams. And that was something that wasn't happening in Chile. Mm. So it was tremendously frustrated by the time. I decided to give away to all of that reality and go into Europe. You know, knocking doors and, and finding an nostalgia. It's every key, you know, I, I didn't do anything different. So anyways, I ended up in Madrid working in two restaurants, doing an internship at Mugaritz in the Basque country. But that time Mugaritz wasn't that, that famous, you know. Actually, no, nobody knew it that much, to be honest. It was a long time ago. It was a learning path for me. So if I'm hearing this right, just because I want to sort of paint people's, the listeners' understanding of the context of Chile in these years, which would be 
somewhere between the late 90s and mid 2000s. Is that right? This time frame? Yeah, yeah. Early 2000, I would say. Yeah. Okay. I landed in Chile in 2001 and I would agree with you. There were very few restaurants that were focused on anything that had no really Chilean. It was all very French centric or Italian centric done in not a very authentic way either. And then you had the Peruvian influx after, but it was like a very strange time that I felt there was a gulf in dining at a high level. But you always had this cultural tradition that you're talking about, which is the home cooking, which people always look down on, which I found very strange because it was like the Italy, the cucina pobre, like the, but the people's food. And it was, that was where the deliciousness for me was at least an interesting part of what Chile was. So you went to Europe to try and cultivate and find how you were going to later articulate this at home. But that was sort of what you intuited that you were looking for to have some inspiration, how to bring this back? Well, to be honest, I was trying to find my passion, you know, I I just wanted to see what I saw in those books and the passionate chef, the passionate producer, giving their lives to what they were doing. And so that's what I found in in Europe. So I said like, oh no, I'm I'm so lucky, cannot believe it. Now this is my new reality. I got so excited to be there. So I felt complete. That's what it was. Then I came back to Chile. I decided to come back because uh, I was sure that it was going to have my chance some way or another. I had this feeling of my guts that it was going to have my chance to serve my own food, I mean. You know, this is the dream of any cook in the world, you know, to serve your own food at the end of the day. And so I came back to Chile and I continued my career and work as a CDP, then, then, then as a sous chef, and then run a restaurant as a chef. I made some my own possibilities to to open this small restaurant called Borago back in early 2007. But it was quite curious because I I remember being in, in, in a super classical cuisines, kitchens, you know, in Europe and being part of, but tremendously well executed and also super avant-garde restaurants. So I saw everything. I, I just practically saw everything. So I feel that we... I had Borago in mind for a long time. I knew it was what we needed to do. We needed to, to start something very different, very different to whatever I saw in Europe, based on, on Chile. It was so essential to me, so obvious. And Chile is one of the biggest endemic pantries in the world. And most of the ingredients done here, they grow for, for a short amount of time. We have this giant, very cold coast. People up in the northern hemisphere sometimes think that Chile, it can be like a super warm country, but down south can be very, very chilly. <laughs> so Chile can be very chilly, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and we have this very unique coast. It's a very long line with cold seawater. And it's quite amazing what you can find there. High mountains with more than 7,000 kilometers and forests that grow, that you can get to see ingredients that are very amazing. Very unique also. For me, there was a, the biggest contradiction ever. At least 80% of us Chileans, we have Mapuche blood. Like if you go into the dictionary, we were truly an example of mestizo. So we got it in our blood. And we used to say that we have no culture. We do. That, that is a true. We have culture. Mapuche has been in the Chilean land for the last almost more than 12,000 years. But this sort of a saying that not the best, but good things were coming from outside of the country. It meant a lot for Chileans for a long time. So we have no pride to, to cook or to feel appealed to. So I felt this is what we need to do. Our way of cooking, our approach to Borago, it's not going to be based on technique. It's going to be about possibilities of the land of the ingredient itself. So when you started, just to tie back into what you saw in Spain that you found incredibly energizing and clearly it was based in in the, not only the execution, but this relationship with the producers being part of your team, essentially. Is that right? So you were looking to also find out how to integrate all these native products that would come through these small collaborators, producers into your concept, what your food was going to be from the beginning. Is that right? Exactly. But it wasn't anything special what I saw in Europe in that time, you know? It was so normal. Like every average to good restaurant will have a super deep relationship with the producers, but not in Chile. So it was kind of funny because you could buy a Japanese fish, but you could never ever buy a specific Chilean fish. that's super hum- humble, you know, that costs 
one Luca, which by that time would be like two bucks or something like that. So we were a little frustrated because it was kind of hard to get those ingredients. So I said, okay, we're going to build a path. We know nothing about the Chilean land, nothing. Rather than what I saw when I was a kid, all of those waffles and this and that. But I felt that it was so much out there to discover, you know, understanding that Chile is one of the biggest endemic countries in the world. And so what we did, we started traveling and meeting people like everyone, like this guy, the producer, the agriculture, the old woman, the Mapuche, that everyone could help us to find that ingredient. So I started to ask favors to people. For instance, this guy, Don Pascual, he was a son of Alonco. So I was asking, Don Pascual, would you forage this wild apple for us? And this big amount, you know, just to send it to a restaurant in order to have it and to experiment with, because we knew nothing about it. It was so new. It was like a, for a children to be inside of a candy store. It was fascinating. But we knew something that it was real. The seasonality, it was very short. It was going to take us a long time to discover, to practice with it, to become a deep restaurant. We decided to give it a go. We find different ways because our logistic, it's, it's quite complicated, you know, because it's a long country and it's very pristine down the south. The logistics are quite difficult. Anyway, we also started that, that path full of a learning process, what I call now a deep, very beautiful learning process. But the trouble was that by that time, in order to become a non-restaurant in Santiago for Chileans to go there, you know, social networks was nothing compared to what it is today. So you needed that journalist, important journalist, writing very important note about the restaurant, saying that, that the food is, is good so people could know through the newspaper that, that they were doing fine. But that never happened, unfortunately. We got a lot of shit from, <laughs> from everyone. <laughs> oh, these guys are doing this and that in a funny way. So we got so blessed, you know. We were just kids, you know, and we were just uh, full of dreams, more than, than knowledge, of course. And suddenly we got in serious financial troubles. The amount of ingredients that, that the people would send us, it was, of course, very small. It was more like a, almost like in a bipolar way. Developing while well, financially almost in a bankrupt. I remember I saw this beautiful house. It was a famous restaurant. So somebody invited me and told me, hey, Rodolfo, you know what? This restaurant is for sale. I saw it. I thought, damn, this is the most marvelous thing I've ever seen in my life that I wanted to be inside. But why are you inviting me to this place? I couldn't afford it, not even in two lives of work. Like I had no partners. I try, it's a very funny story because I tried to get partners lying to people to, to get in order to get in that house because it was like a, more like a fancy neighborhood, you know? So I remember Alejandro, yeah. my wife, telling me, hey, we need to move the restaurant to more like a place where everyone can see you. So now no, nobody's seeing you because it was not in a, in a good place to be. For, for a restaurant to be at, especially a gastronomic restaurant. So, and I remember possible partners saying, oh no, no, you're a crazy guy, man. Let's talk about 200. Otherwise, wh why don't you go to Europe? Why don't you go to United States? You'll be very successful. You're a talented kid. So you probably would be doing it over there maybe. And so I got so frustrated. But you know, suddenly we got into this program with the bank which is a big support it's it's used to call fogape still exist but you know this crazy guy he was fired so he was doing a lot of bad stuff you know he was giving us the support for the credit from the bank it didn't even have a house or i remember having a very small car and it was a fun story i received this call from my wife saying hey we got the money in our account so we can move I said, what? So we can move. We can, we can move the restaurant to this dream house. Everything will happen. Everything. So I said, but I don't know if I'm mm -hmm. scared or not, but let's go for it. Damn, let's go for it. I had nothing. You know, I had like a huge amount of debt, but it was a small restaurant. So I, if we moved there, probably we, we would do it. So by the way, the, the bank didn't even check because they, they trust on this guy from the government program you know so they give us the credit the the woman almost got fired too and of course because this kid had nothing so we got the credit we move into the into the new house but that was where the nightmare to start 
because everything was bigger. So on the scale, you know, exactly. So I remember inviting all the Chilean gastronomic press by that time, and nobody wrote a single piece about the restaurant. And I got so frustrated, you know, like uh, we were doing a big effort. You know, it was beautiful. It was like in my mind, probably wasn't that 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 beautiful, but anyway, it was beautiful. So we got the food, we got the place, and so we got in a serious financial troubles. Till 2013, I received a message from you know this sort of guide I saw. You know, you saw every year called the World 50 Best, and somebody told me, "Hey, did you notice that this year there's going to be a version of the Latin American restaurants for the World 50 Best, the first ever?" And guess what? I heard that you're going to be on the top. I say, yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? I was used to it. After being six years with an absolutely empty restaurant, which, by the way, we kept developing and learning as in a bipolar way of every single ingredient. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to take you to the past. At the very beginning, we decided to write about every single ingredient, so we won't forget what we did last year. So we next year we could move forward in terms of knowledge. That's so you're stuff, chronicling right? everything that you're learning and creating this body of work basically exactly we didn't want to become researchers forget about it we, we we're not doing that we we had a huge amount of needs we just wanted to learn we just needed to uh, understand to me three things that were very essential for any cook in the world understanding who you are Where you're coming from and where you got around. Just as a little side note, when you were documenting this, like what kind of things? If you took an ingredient that's indigenous and you're cataloging it for, yeah. if that's what you would call it, like what kind of things would you note? Like when it's in season or exactly. how what everything. the uses are, recipes. Like what, what would go into? We're doing everything, like because we needed to know how to use them. So we started saying like uh, how it grows, from which state to which state, how to cut it. As emulsifiers or not, who were eating it, mapuches, kawashka. So that was very tremendously interesting. Cooking methods, what kind of wood they were using, why, for how long? Suddenly, back in 2013, it was truth. It was going to be held in, in Peru. We got there, and the restaurant uh, appeared number eight in the list. But the thing is, the restaurant was, of course day before and all of those years was were a totally empty restaurant probably we did few few fools you know with 25 people we have a capacity of 52 so it was a big house for, for us at that time yeah. by the way we always had this uh small space where we could create and experiment with in the second floor of the restaurant it was fascinating because we came back to from peru to santiago And I remember the restaurant was fully booked within a month ahead. So I started to get nervous because Borago, it was something in my mind. It was all endemic, native ingredient, cooking methods that you would never seen and so deep, but it didn't make sense because we cook for two or for non-people. It's a totally different game to cook for a fully booked restaurant every day. So it got so scared, like a... What do we do? What do we do now? How are we going to grab those ingredients? I remember calling Don Pasquale and saying, Don Pasquale, listen, remember those wild apples? Well, I need 500 kilos now. Remember the lambs? Grab them all. You had to scale overnight. It's exactly. So, so uh, grab more people to grab this and this and that. So we start meeting more people and building a huge chain of people grabbing, forging these ingredients because it was a need, not because we wanted to be cool or anything. We, we just needed to cook with those ingredients in order to, to our Chilean food to taste truly Chilean. You know what? The coolest thing, it was we were so ready to it. Because in this very bipolar way, we knew what to do with the ingredients. So you had it, been preparing for like the whole time, basically, exactly. to have clarity in your 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 creative exactly. direction, right? Exactly. I really thought that it was going to end it up in jail, to be honest, because we have <laughs> serious serious financial <laughs> troubles. I didn't have family or a partner, you know, to to say nothing against. I think it's the most marvelous thing. But at that time, I didn't have. I was scared at a certain point in my life. But anyway, when this happened, I remember it, I couldn't believe it. 
Like every day the restaurant was fully booked. I couldn't. I thought it was streaming. So I remember after the third month, I went to the Gordo's office, as we call Diego, the, the, the guy that works in administration by that time. Hey, Gordo, listen, how is the reservation for today? And he's like, hey, you mother****, I'm not going to tell you again and again and again. You've been here every single day for the last three months. And he grabbed me from my shoulders. He shakes me. And he told me, listen, Borago already changed. This is the new reality. You better get used to it and get, <laughs> and get your ass to work. And so that's what I did. Suddenly something in my mind totally switched from that day and beyond. And so I decided to spend since then every second in imagination. So it was a fascinating story by that time. I felt tremendously blessed and gifted to, to be part of that the journey. It was like the, well, I mean, the universe just kind of, after all those years of preparation was like, okay, you're ready. Here you go. Here's your, here's the chance and the, the tides turn, as they say. It's amazing. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you for sharing that because I think entrepreneurs, that there are people listening to this, there is such a risk component that people don't always appreciate. They always see the end product, right? And don't hear about going through these choppy waters and what goes into something. They just see the success that's done. And you know, part of success are these, these scary moments that you row through. Yes. But you know what? There is not all. Uh, this is for chapter number two, number two for sure. But uh, <laughs> we have to, yeah, certainly in, two, in 2015, we had an issue. We have to leave the house because somebody bought it, bought the house under the table, paying an over incredible amount of overprice for the house. So I got very surprised, and we get in a very incredible situation that we wanted to avoid. But the thing is. The, by that time, Borago was number two of Latin America. We entered into the World 50 Best. So we have a massive audience from all over the world traveling. You know, people never, ever would travel to Chile to eat. Come on. You would travel to Peru, to Mexico, to Brazil, to Argentina. Why would you go to Chile? By that time, Chileans would overcook the fish, the seafood. And, and so... There was no recent Perea to travel to, to Chile. It's far, it's expensive. There's no way. So in 2015, I felt so blessed. You know, we have stages as I never dream of, you know, having people from all over the world traveling to do their interns with us. But suddenly we have to leave the house. We had a big operation, like no joking, like really big. The restaurant was fully booked and we couldn't feed anywhere else because we had to leave in less than a year. We dragged that situation somehow. We managed to drag that situation till end of 2018. So we have to move the restaurant to the house where we are now. The coolest thing ever is that they found us, the owner of this property, he, he found us, he had a situation. So he said to me, hey, why don't you move the restaurant to this beautiful house? And then I said, we're a small restaurant still. We have 52 covers. We cannot afford this giant place where you used to have two restaurants instead of one. We're only one. I remember this guy saying, there's nothing to be worried about. You don't have to pay the double amount. I want you to be here. Liz Kasky Culinary and Wine Experiences is a travel curator putting together customized journeys in Chile, Argentina, Uruguay, Peru, Colombia, and California since 2004. Wine, food, culture, and craftsmanship have always been our why. From the Mediterranean wine heartland of Chile to the heights of Sacred Valley and Machu Picchu, meeting vintners at Harvest in Mendoza at the feet of the Andes, taking in the pounding Iguazu Falls, or learning to salsa in pulsating Cartagena, Colombia. Food, wine, and culture lovers dive into experiences from vertical tastings at cult wineries in Napa to antiquing in San Telmo, Buenos Aires, sitting at a top chef's table in Lima, Peru, or galloping in windblown Patagonia, and of course, sipping a zippy alvarino on the beaches of Jose Ignacio, Uruguay. We take you to the source with our network of passionate experts, tastemakers, and craftsmen, and incorporate exquisite lodging, stellar food and wine, and 20 years of experience in hospitality. The intention behind every one of our trips is to savor life's deliciousness 
and reconnect you with a sense of wonder. Want to join us? Head over to www.lizkaski.com or write us at info at to contact our team and make your dream trip happen today. Now back to the episode. And so this is an incredible situation. By that time, 2018, we published a book with Fiden coming from the South, our book. There was not, not a journalist involved. We designed the, the book. We did incredible work together with Fiden. So it was very personal in terms of Borago, you know. It's not that I wanted to talk about the book. It's I wanted to talk about the exercise I did as a person when I finished the book. And this is the most relevant thing to my entire career, probably. Because by that time, late 2007, we were 10 years old. When I received the book for the first time in my hands, I look at it and I say, wow, this is amazing. This is really, really amazing. You know what? I went downstairs to talk to the entire team. And I said, you know what, guys? We haven't been cooking during all of these years. And, and everyone asked, why? What are you talking about? We've been cooking exceptional well. I said, no, we haven't. We haven't. We, we've been in a deep learning process, which is different, of 10 years. We've been in 10 years learning process. Now, for the first time, we can start cooking. Now, the show starts. Because now we know. Now we know how to cut it, from which day to which day it grows, what cooking method. We knew exactly what Mabuchis knew, but from our guts, you know? We were smelling the hills, the mountains around the city, and we knew when to cut those ingredients in all over the country. We were reaching more than 200 people behind the restaurant between foraging communities and small producers from the entire country. And that was very amazing because we felt that we were, for the first time ever, a truly deep Chilean restaurant with the Chilean ingredients. And so when we moved the restaurant, in, back in 2018, we were learning so many things. We were able to create knowledge on top of anything, on top of, you know, all of this experience, the story that we, we were able to be part of. So it was that fascinating that we didn't know what to do with that knowledge. What are we going to do? Of course, we're going to cook better this year and the next year better than this year. It makes a lot of sense. Of course, one ingredient used to mean, I don't know, one possibility only seven years ago. Now one ingredient means, I don't know, at least 300 possibilities. We have information for the next 70 years probably. What are we going to do? We have to share it. It's, it doesn't make sense to keep it in between the four walls of the restaurant. So knowledge cannot have walls. And we, we decided, of course, we have this giant space where we're going to move to. So we, of course, we could do a second restaurant. We'll be the best business ever besides the Borago. But we said, no, we're going to build the first researching center for food, mm-hmm. for Chilean food. And that's what we did. So we created a SIP and we moved the restaurant at the beginning of 2019 here. And that's our story. We can get deeper into the new space you're in, but yeah. I want to open up a little bit for people that maybe don't know Borgo, that we can talk a little bit about the style of food, because I think the relationship that you're, we're establishing with all these microclimates and producers, it would be great if we can dive a little more into your particular synthesis and presentation of all this knowledge that you you were foraging, in essence, too. Because it's not when you sit down, anything that I, or I think anyone that's ever dined there, it's it's so different than you would ever go into any dinner. It's, I don't want to say abstract. It's like the essence of chili, but it's distilled in such a unique way on a plate in surprising combinations and textures. And I mean, it really pulls all your senses into play. It's not just you go to a dinner and you're looking at a bistro and you want to have steak tartare or something like that. I mean, this is way more uh, comprehensive, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And yeah. and, and sens- sensual and in the sense of engaging all your senses. I mean, because you are taking people through 11 courses and this journey from north to south and it's blending cultural and and it's terroir in a sense that how you experience that through the food and and I think that's really important for people to unpack your vision because somebody else could say oh we do Chilean producers and food but it's not going to look the way your signature 
approach to this this is absolutely well Borrego is still a very experimental restaurant that's what it is you know we're not based on technique it's very hard to describe i think Borrego it's Borrego style it's it's Borrego style you know you know why and and it's very unique experimental <laughs> experimental i would say you would say oh this is tremendously avant-garde which is not we we don't describe ourselves as an avant-garde restaurant because we're cooking this thing with the, the cooking method that it was used, I don't know, 2,000 years ago or 3,000 mm-hmm. years ago. I'd rather prefer to think the human being is moving back and forth mm-hmm. in time. And if you ask me, Borrego is not, not a modernist restaurant at all. It's appeal and attached to the root tradition of our native terroir, our native people, but also experimental generating knowledge in terms of flavor and possibilities of flavor, of ingredients, and that never been discovered before. I like to think that knowledge is probably the most valuable tool that human beings have. But there is one tool that is even more relevant than knowledge, and I think is imagination, because it's absolutely unlimited. Being, you know, knowledge is limited. This is a problem. But imagination can take you through Everything, even combining the, the one before, when you combine the two of them, then you can, you can get something even more special. That's what we are trying to aim in, of course, the, in searching of the delicious of our Chilean land. When you're looking, because you do seasonal menus that change yeah. four times a year, is that right? Well, where I go till 2018, used to be uh, in a menu and food in progress all the time, you know, changing with seasonality. But in 2019, we decided to do five menus instead because we have four seasons traditionally, but we discover a season that we wanted to celebrate. We call it pre-spring. So we have a Mm. summer menu, autumn menu, winter, pre-spring and spring. So the, the menu changes five times a year. It's because we feel very comfortable doing it. It's a hard exercise for us. It's, it's very pushing us very hard, but, but we, we feel very blessed and happy to do so. We feel we can do it and people are enjoying it. And Chileans are enjoying it because Borago is not only a, a restaurant for people coming from all over the world. We have an important clientele of Chileans, you know, which is Quite amazing coming from all over the country. Yes. And Chileans, I mean, in the past, when you described when you got started, I mean, had very little interest in their own food. So how did you see that changed when you started getting validation from media, particularly outside Chile, appreciating your focus on something that was so intensely Chilean? Did like all of a sudden these journalists like sort of wake up and be like, wow, we need to be paying more attention to this. Having lived in the country for 20 plus years, it was always such a funny island mentality sometimes of how the validation always had to come from outside before it could come from within. What was your experience as this gained steam from the international public? People started being more awake to, I mean, what you're creating here is patrimonio in heritage for the country through this dining experience. Everything suddenly changed for us. That's, that's true. But, you know, I cannot complain. I mean, I'm very grateful even through uh, hot times and tough times that we had with the restaurant. And it's part of being a, a new country in a way, in the society, mm. in, this, in the new society. You know, even so, I'm so grateful to go through it. The fact was that nobody in Chile knew that we exist. That, that is the thing. So with this international guys, when, when everything started to happen, I remember Andrea Petrini showing up in two, back in 2012. Since then, everything started to happen. And I couldn't believe it. Everything slowly moved forward that in fact Chileans knew us from the outside because people started traveling from all over the world to Chile just to eat our food. That was marvelous for sure in its spin. But um, I feel that, that it's been tremendously great to, to live that, that experience. I just want to like sort of tie in here a little bit, this circling back to what you were talking about, the lab and the research facility you have in the new home. If we can talk about this, this cataloging project that started over a decade ago, you have some of it in your book. What projects are you working on? Have you been working on? I remember when 
we spoke, you were working on a project that involved seaweed and making it more accessible in foods as a nutritional component. It was going to be like a space for the community to sort of meet and have these larger, I don't want to say academic, but more educational component. How has that evolved, that space for you within the context of what Borgo as a project is? Well, it's been changing radically now, but I'm going to take you back to uh, 2019. What we did, it was it was a very simple thing. We discovered things that we never dream of. We ingredients that probably would taste in the coast, and you say, "Listen, I'm not going to eat this because it doesn't taste good and, and has this awful texture, whatever." And then you suddenly taste it at the restaurant. You say, "Oh my goodness, this is probably the best thing I ever have." Seeing all of that, we decided to develop our skills. You know, we developed incredible amount of skills on three lines of work. First of all, the the seaweeds. We have more than 700 kinds of seaweeds in Chile. We use probably, I don't know, five, maybe four, I don't know. We discover incredible things with them, especially with the taste. And the second was the rock plants, as we call allophytes. Chile is that we have a... 4,600 kilometers of coast of the coastline, super deep in cold water. There's nothing almost in front. So you, you'll get to see things that you won't, won't see anywhere else in the world. Tremendously tasty. Probably one of the most tasty seafood in the world. Species that we never use for human consumption. All around the rocks in, the, in our coastline, they grow these allophytes, these rock plants that they hold more than 38% of protein. They grow, they could represent the future of agriculture. We're going to face within the next few years, you know, a lot of, lot of uh, dry years, a lot of inundations as well. And these plants, they're invasive. They grow in a huge amount of water and dry times too. So they're delicious, meaty, beautiful. And, and the third line is uh, the small fish, you know, such as mm. uh, anchovies, Chilean sardines. We discovered incredible amount of things with those two. And probably the fourth one, and the one that we have more skills, is the fungi world. Oh, yeah. Not only the one that your eyes are able to see, but, but the ones that your eyes are absolutely unable to see. If I take you to the native forest, Chilean native forest, make you drag your fingers through the leaves, you'll taste it, you won't believe it. Since early 2019, we decided to prototype the operation of Borago with the research center on the side. We just felt that our food is just simply 100 times better than in 2018. So I said, what happened if we open this space for more people, for young students, in order to deliver knowledge or to feed children using this knowledge? So we prove that this knowledge is incredible for food at any scale, at any kind, just to be close to people because it's healthy, it's good quality. And it can be very cheap. This is very amazing. Very, very amazing. I want to back up just because you we talked a little bit about your book, but I think this is interesting, especially for people that want to get the book and go a little deeper. You said you were spent 10 years documenting this huge body of knowledge within this book. How do you translate this food in Borgo that is so highly tied to a place and within that even like micro places, if you can call these, these little areas that you source this one vegetable or this one herb or this mushroom, et cetera. How do you translate that into something that can be recreated at home? Or was that not the goal of this book? Was this more of a, I don't want to say a, a coffee table book in the sense of like, it not, it doesn't just sit there, but this is something to read, appreciate, but you're not going to attempt at home. I mean, what was just to expand a little conceptually on the book so people know what it, what it's about if they haven't eaten at the restaurant or are familiar with you? Okay. I, I think that our food it's very unfair, you know, because the word in English is much more precise. Actually, the word it only exists in English. It doesn't exist in Spanish. It's momentum. And so Borrego food is about the momentum of the Chilean terroir. Mm. Probably there's many recipes over there. I've, I've heard a lot of people <laughs> doing it at home and writing me and saying, hey, listen, this it works fantastically. It works just like the recipe. I say, yes, it's a recipe book. We have more than 100 recipes there. But all rather than that, the most important thing, it's not a coffee table, neither. It is an imagination book. More ah, than okay. anything else, it's one of those things that I wanted to keep as an imagination material. 
that's what we call it. It makes you dream a little bit. It's like dreaming. For sure, for sure. Well, that's what it happens. I'm excited. I mean, from my perspective, a personal perspective, of course, I like it. But if you say it as a person that reads it, uh, well, I'm, I'm excited and happy to to know that. Rodolfo, your work is so important. There's been so much written about Chilean wine, as an example, in terms of terroir, appellations, varietals, and certainly we talk a lot about it on this podcast and in general. But when we started bringing people to Chile in 2004, I also was very interested in what is the origin of this food? And I think so much of what you've put forth in these years about the terroir of ingredients and the importance of this sense of place that only exists in Chile. And this is one of the few English language publications or any creative work that exists to really describe in great depth what the potential of Chilean ingredients are that aren't wine driven. So thank you for that. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. The Chilean wine is, it's brutal. Back in the days, I don't know, last 10 years ago, you wouldn't see what is happening now, especially with natural wines, organic wines are growing massively in a great, towards a great direction. And it's fantastic. It's just fantastic. I'm very excited. And now I, I think now food is able to talk from people to people, from one to each other. <laughs> so that's that's good because it's both representing the terroir. So it's it's a natural thing. That's good. It's a natural evolution. Yeah. yeah. What's on the horizon for you as a chef and, a, and, and the restaurant? I'm super optimistic. I'm very positive. I've been very positive. I got this, uh, again, this very bipolar feeling (laughs) if you like that i need the hard times as the hard times needing me needs me i'm sorry and i feel like there is a an attraction to it the adversity i know you heard it a lot i know it's it's very sad thing but you know what the only way that you can get the best of yourself is just being out of the comfort zone and when you're out that's exactly where the magic happens i think i shouldn't say it but I like challenging. It's part of, in, in my career, it's been a back and forth. So I, I said to, to me this time, I said, I better get used to it. It's going to be part of my, our path. I agree. I think like when you hit the rock bottom sometimes or these these harrowing hard experiences or when you you are able to get such clarity on what's yeah. important, what direction you want to take, what, what really is the essence of things and, and you move in that way. And without them, you sometimes, I don't know, I get bored <laughs> or you, it's, yeah. it's easy but yeah. boring. <laughs> but, but you know what? This mother time, suddenly we became such a selfish people in the world in general. And the only way to get the best out of yourself for the community, it's just diversity. It gets the best out of yourself. That's how you get better for the community. Maybe this is, this is a way for us to get the very best of the best of ourselves to everyone else. So I have one last question that I, I yes. would love to know. You, you have four kids. Yes. Um, just because you have a lot of free time. <laughs> what do you make for them at home? I mean, because I love asking chefs this question because are your kids good eaters? Like, How have you instilled this reverence for origin and, and Chili's food in them and the way that that impacted you when you were little? How have you, now that you're the parent, incorporated that to your family traditions and life? As a parent, as a father, I experimented two revolutions in my life. The first one, it was when I knew nothing about cooking. So you pass pretty much from knowing nothing to knowing a lot, let's say. But I mean, you can do bread, you can do pastries, you can cook a chicken, you can cook an animal, a fish, a vegetable. So that was the first one, the first revolution in my mind. You know, I say, wow, I can cook things now. In the second one, it was to become a parent mm. in, a, in a sense that that. It's not that you're only cooking, but you're thinking, oh, wow, these little tiny persons are the things that I love the most in this planet, you know? I'm very lucky. In my kids, I know they're lucky because they, they get good quality of food, recently grow from the soil. We know the people that are cutting the ingredients out of the ground for us. At the restaurant, perhaps at home too. And they eat pretty much everything. I love to cook at home. My wife cooks exceptionally well and I cook a lot. That's what I do. I do the, since the most simple, they love pasta. They get their own dishes that they love the most. 
they love desserts. They love, yeah, it's very seasonal. You know, we try to cook seasonal, make it fun. Weekends are a time that family waits during the entire week to, for dad, either way, mom or dad to cook. And what's your favorite Chilean comfort food? If I can oh, ask. Tough question, but I, I like pretty much everything. I don't have such a favorite, but if you push me a lot, like like a lot, I will tell you seafood, of course. Oh, really? It's, oh, yes. It's incredible. We, like we sea get urchins the, or something like that? Yes, yes. We got the, you know, the Chilean uni, uh, the giant ones, the, the, wow. I mean, those are amazing. I, I love, I love seafood in general, but yeah, yeah, I would say so. It's <laughs> just out of curiosity. Great. Thanks again to Rodolfo for joining us. You can find Rodolfo on Instagram at rgborago, where he shares snippets of the ingredients and dishes and their inspiration from Borgo. You can also get his book, Coming from the South by Fiden, either on the Fiden website or on Amazon. And finally, if you are headed to Santiago and want to book Borgo, the website is www.borgo.cl. We highly suggest that you book at least one to two months in advance as the restaurant does have high demand. Also be sure to do it on a day when you can eat light as it's a four hour culinary journey. Finally, if this conversation has piqued your interest in a trip to Chile, please contact the Liz Kasky team to discuss exploration of the region, including a culinary experience at Borgo. Thanks for tuning in guys. Catch you in the next episode. Ciao. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, family, colleagues, or whoever could use some deliciousness and wanderlust in their lives right now. Also, we'd love if you leave us a review on iTunes. They are tremendously helpful for other people to find the podcast. For more inspiration and information on how you can come to California Wine Country in South America with us or bring them into your home, visit our website at www.lizkaski.com and follow us on Instagram at lccwe.com. Or you can also follow my Instagram at LizKasky77. See you next time. Hasta la próxima.